Moms, we honor you today for all kinds of stuff. So happy Mother's Day. I appreciate moms because God provided two moms for me, um, and I needed them both. My first mom is the one who brought me into the world and um, got me off to a very healthy start with a 10-pound delivery. She knew that she wouldn't be able to take care of me properly. I think she made that decision before delivery. Uh, And so she put me up for adoption, and I appreciate that she did that. My second mom adopted me uh, as her own, and she adopted a few extra challenges along with that. How many here are adopted like me? few of you? Okay. Um, So my mom adopted a few extra challenges. Uh, For example, when she brought me home from the Lutheran Welfare Welfare Agency, that's what they called it back in those days, um, at just six weeks, I weighed 13 pounds. And, you know, I didn't quite fit with that family. On my first birthday, I weighed 35 pounds. Now, some of you don't know what that means. But my five-year-old sister weighed about 40 pounds, okay? And apparently I presented other challenges uh, to my mom as well. When I was about four, to keep me from running away, she strapped a dog harness on me, if you've ever seen those, and then chained me to the clothesline. That was one way that moms in the 1950s um, helped their kids be stable. Uh, And it seemed to work okay. Uh, Not only did my mom put up with some of the extra challenges of just me, but she also had to put up with some extra challenges with her parents about having an adopted uh, son and therefore an adopted grandson for them. Um, Because my grandparents weren't that comfortable with having an adopted grandson And so one of the things that my mom did was she tried to compensate or overcompensate by letting me know how important I was, letting me know that I was loved, expressing love to me. And um, one of the things she did was when she told me what it meant to be adopted, I came away thinking, you know, I'm probably I used to go around and tell the other kids in the neighborhood that I was adopted. And I thought that meant I was just a cut above the rest of the kids. I really did. And I understood what it meant to be chosen. So later, when I was 25, when I became a follower of Jesus and learned that I was adopted by God as a son, that was easy. I knew what that meant. Uh, My mom wasn't perfect, but I knew she loved me. She died when I was uh, 16 years old, and she never got to meet her grandkids So today I want to talk to you moms about why I appreciate you. Now, you don't have to be a mom to appreciate what I have to say today. I think there are some things that you'll be able to learn uh, from what I have to say, whether uh, you all mostly probably have moms, and um, some of you are moms, and some of you will become moms. Some of you are married to mothers. Some of you will become married uh, to mothers. So there's, I think there's going to be a lot of application here today. First of all, moms, I want to start by saying, moms, you are God's finest workmanship. Okay? 
and there's going to be some application to you ladies. Uh, you are God's finest workmanship. And um, this takeaway comes from the Bible, and especially in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And let me, uh, just to give you an overview here, um, Genesis chapter 1, there are two creation accounts in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 is a creation account, and it's a panoramic view. It's a big picture view of creation. It's all six days of creation. And that's the purpose. So you get to see the whole big picture. Genesis chapter 2 is the microscopic view. It's the creation of man. It just zeroes in and focuses on the creation of man on day six. Two different purposes, two creation accounts. Sometimes the Bible gets criticized uh, for having these two creations accounts as if somehow they're contradictory. They are not. They just have different focuses on uh, what happened. Genesis chapter 1-1 is a summary statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think of this as a summary. It's not the first chronological point of the story. It's a summary of what happens in the rest of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 is the summary statement of the second account. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Different account, same creation. Um, is it when the Lord God made? Yeah. And uh, this is the when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Uh, next, I want to focus on uh, the good part. Summarizing the big picture in Genesis chapter 1, the good part. If you were to read through Genesis chapter 1 very carefully, uh, you would find in uh, Genesis 1 verse 4, Genesis 1 verse 10, Genesis 1 verse 12, Genesis 1 verse 18, verse 21, and verse 25, when God worked and got to the end of each step of creation, he, this is what the scripture says, and God saw that it was good. This is a good part. Okay? Uh, and this is uh, God at work, and then God steps back, and he says, this is good. This is good. The not so good part, Genesis, I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And here's the creation of the first man. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, personally, I believe that the origin of man happens just this way. I take it literally. That God formed the man from the dirt. It's, man, you are made of dirt. Now, God could have done this any way he wanted to. He could have used an evolutionary process that took millions of years or billions of years. He could have done that. The God that I know and the God that I understand is a supernatural God. And he created by speaking the words. He created from nothing. And when he got the man, he took the time to form him out of dirt, and he breathed in him and gave him life, okay? So we've said this is uh, not so good. We come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Later in the same account, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, you know, some of you have heard this many times. 
But for a Hebrew reader or any reader, and if you study the Bible, you know, there's a good point about study. Just like a scientist studies the facts or a medical doctor studies the facts in treating a case. When you study the Bible, you study the facts. What does the scripture say? And as a reader is coming along in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he sees it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. So it really stands out when you reach a point and the scripture says it's not good. Oh, pay attention here. Let's see this. What's this about? It's not good for man to be alone. And um, and God uh, suggests that he is going to work toward the solution. He says, I'm going to make a helper suitable because that's what Adam is going to need. Adam is going to need a helper, helper suitable for him. And one of the sad things in our English language, when you see the word helper, uh, we get this idea, well, you know, God's plan was the woman was going to be sort of like an assistant. You know, she was going to be like a servant to do anything Adam wanted. That's not what that concept is at all. The word helper uh, has the idea, and, and a helper that's suitable for Adam, has the idea of being a counterpart to Adam. Adam is the way he is. He has some strengths, but Adam's going to have some weaknesses as well. And God is going to make a counterpart that's suitable, that's fitting with Adam. One who is going to be a partner, not a servant. Um, so the solution is God makes Adam lonely. He's going to start by making Adam lonely. And where does this come from? Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the beasts, birds of the air. This happened on the sixth day prior uh, to the creation of man. He brought them to the man. God brought, stay back, thank you. God brought them to the man, these animals, to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. This is a pretty big deal. God took the time to stop in the creation. You know, God could have named everything. Okay, this is the name of the giraffe. Everybody get that? Never change it. I didn't do that. God delegated that. He gave man the free will to name the animals. That's a big, that's authority and that's responsibility God delegates to man. Now, uh, God is going to use this process to help Adam because Adam needs help, remember? And so, uh, verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. That's great. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. Who's looking? Who's searching for a suitable helper? Adam. He's looking at the animals for a mate. You know, and he sees them. He sees them and God brings them to him in pairs. Um, male and female. Adam was smart enough to know there's something about the, this creation that there seems to be mates. And Adam wants a partner. And he's looking for a partner among the animals as God brings them. And then God makes this comment, no suitable helper was found for Adam. That's good because that wouldn't have been a good place for him to find a helper. 
He probably scratched his head when he got to the monkeys and the gorillas, but he was probably glad that they weren't the suitable helper. Next, God engages um, Adam to sacrifice his body. This one's interesting. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Adam is going to make a sacrifice before he can have a wife. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. God was very gracious just about for what he was going to do to Adam. He puts him to sleep. And so we're coming on the first surgery with the first anesthesia. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed closed up the place with the flesh. Now, I believe it happened just like this. I believe God cut Adam for this woman. And God had to, or Adam had to say, God, here I am. You know, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And so God put Adam to sleep and he cut open his side and he broke out the rib. God broke Adam before he would do his next thing. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, God was setting a standard in marriage here. Uh, When you get married, you're going to give yourself you're going to give up your body for your mate. You're going to give up your life for your mate. Next, uh, God does his best creation work. Genesis 2, verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. God took a bone, and he fashioned that. The creator God of the universe, who has all of the skill creative apart and he takes a rib a bone and he somehow supernaturally fashions this rib into a woman and, and gals you may not appreciate that that you were made originally from adam's rib but guess what you aren't made of dirt and god had a big intention there when he did this he took something of a human to change and transform and create this woman. God made a woman from the rib. I don't know what the first woman looked like. She was like the ideal woman. I don't think I'm I think she was probably beautiful, but you know, I don't think she was maybe beautiful in the way People expect to look at a computer screen and find beauty. I don't think that's what she looked like. I don't know. But she was God's best. And she was made for the man. And she was made uh, out of Adam's rib. And then he, that is God, the father brought the first bride to the first man. He brought her. He presented. And, and he's going to give. He's giving this bride to the, to the first husband. He's giving her away. And he's giving her away with his blessing. This is where we get this whole tradition and picture in a wedding ceremony today. When dad walks down the aisle and the groom is waiting at the front, dad walks down with his daughter. And then at an appropriate place, he gives his daughter away with his blessing. And he's saying to this young man waiting there, okay, you can have her now. And, uh, we're, you know, we support this. We're for you. Uh, you have our our blessing. Next, Adam uh, agrees that this is God's finest work uh, after when when this happens. Um, 
This is rated PG-13, by the way, because she was naked and not ashamed when this happened. And here's what we find uh, with, with Adam, Genesis 2:23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Isn't that impressive? Not, does that sound romantic? Adam was excited out of his socks. He had never said these words before. He had never seen anything like this. Think about this. Put yourself in Adam's shoes for five seconds. He has never seen a beautiful woman before. God brings her. All of a sudden, the categories that he didn't know were there were there. And he realizes she is not like them. She is wonderful. She is wonderfully made. And, and he's, you know, his mind is working, just clicking things. Whoa, she is different. Wow, you know. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I want you to know God designed this. He designed the human body. He designed the male body. He designed the female body. Um, next, God establishes marriage, Genesis, marriage, Genesis 2.24. And so the author here makes, uh, the Holy Spirit makes a little side comment for us. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. When God had this written down, this verse uh, fit right here with Adam and Eve, the first marriage, and this is uh, the foundational passage in all of the Bible for marriage, quoted by Paul, quoted by Jesus. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Please notice the order. College students, singles, you leave your father and mother first. Then you're united to, to your wife. That's, that, that's a marriage ceremony right there. You're united to your wife. She has to become your wife. Then they will become one flesh. That's about a, an exclusive lifetime commitment that does not change. This is, this is God's plan A, by the way. There's no plan B here to become one. There's no plan B to tear this thing apart. So the idea is... You leave your parents, you get united to your mate of your choice for life, then you move in together, and then you have a sexual relationship, and then you are committed for life to serve one another and to love one another and have a home and maybe a family. That's the order. Now, our culture just turns it all around because they, they think experimentation is important and you need all these life experiences before you decide. It's not so. It's not so. So, uh, God establishes the first marriage. And then we have uh, the affirmation for God's finest work. Um, Genesis one twenty seven. This is starting to conclude the chapter one. And so God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So just kind of summarizing the, the creation account in chapter one. Chapter one doesn't give us all the details about creation. But here's what we learn. God created man in his image, which separates him entirely from the animal kingdom. You're not like the monkeys. OK, and um, he created them male and female. I personally believe it takes male and female to reflect the image of God best. It's not just that the image of God is reflected in man. It's reflected best in both 
male and female, and even together can reflect the image of God. Okay. Um, Genesis 131. We're talking about the affirmation. And God saw all that he made, and it was what? Loud. Very good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then what? Not good for man to be alone. Now we have the woman. Now it's very good. Now creation is the way God wants it to be. Ladies, you are the final stroke of creation that honors God. And it was his highest work. And he was most happy when he made you. Okay. Um, so, moms, you are God's finest work, workmanship, according to Genesis 1:31. That's a pretty uh, significant scripture. Secondly, moms, you are loved by God. I just want to remind you of this. You may know a lot of passages. I want to remind moms that you are loved by God. Uh, Isaiah 54, verse 10, is a passage. The scripture says, "Though mountains be shaken and hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken." nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Moms, this applies to you. Now, it applies to me, too. And if you're not a mom, it applies to you. But, moms, I want you to know absolutely for sure this is for you, that God loves you. problem is we often don't feel loved, or we don't feel like God loves us. I want you to know he does. It's absolutely true that he loves you. He has compassion for you. One of the simplest things about the Christian life is this. You live by faith. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. Living by faith is just taking God as his word. God says it. What are you going to do about it? God says he loves you. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? You have to trust him to make it your own. It'd be true whether you believe it or not. That's sad. It's sad if you don't embrace it for yourself because he loves you. Now, Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 38 and 39, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the pr- present nor the future, nor any powers, and he's talking about spiritual powers, forces of darkness, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, you know, one more, just one more. There's lots of passages in the Bible that says that God loves you. And um, nothing can separate you from God's love. You cannot separate yourself from God's love. Satan himself cannot separate you from God's love. There is no person. There is no supernatural force that can separate you from God's love. You believe that? Um, so, um, moms, you're loved by God. Thirdly, moms, you are worthy of our appreciation. You are worthy of our appreciation. Not only are you loved by God, but you are worthy. What is appreciation? Let us, let me remind those of you who are not moms, what appreciation is. Appreciation declares value for another. Husbands, do you appreciate your wife? Do you value your wife? Um, so how, how do you talk to your wife? Do you talk to your wife in a way that shows value, honor, 
courtesy, please, and thank you. Tone of voice. Does sarcasm show value? And if you have humor that has sarcasm in it and it works for you, that's good. If it's funny to your wife, all right? Uh, it took me a long time to learn that sarcasm isn't that helpful, even in trying to be funny. Uh, rarely and occasionally sarcasm works in my marriage, but mostly it never does, okay? I have an amen on that, okay. Secondly, appreciation displays gratitude for another. Are you thankful for your wife? Do you tell God that you're thankful for your wife? I I wanted to apply that to kids, too, about appreciation. Kids, uh, if you have a mom, do you appreciate your mom? Do you tell her that you appreciate uh, her? Um, And then displaying gratitude. Kids, do you thank God uh, for your mom? And do do you tell her thank you for what she does for you and what she's done for you? I doubt of saying thank you she could ever hear it enough. Thirdly, appreciation demonstrates honor and respect. So husbands, do you show honor and respect to your wives? This is what's so sad in marriage. You know, through the years, we've done some marriage counseling along the way, and it's just so easy for husbands and wives to get into the kind of situation where you take each other for granted, and your sort of value comes down. You're not as quite as cool as you were when we first got married, and you, you know all the weaknesses of your mate, and you talk in a way that's dishonoring. Maybe you're harsh. You're, maybe you're impatient with your mate. And so what you have to do, you have to choose to raise the value back up. You have to choose to value your mate. Love is a decision. Respect is a decision. Treating somebody with honor is a decision. It's your choice. It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on your circumstances. It's a choice that you make. Um, so, Mom, God says uh, that you are worthy of honor and respect. And, you know, it wouldn't be Mother's Day without Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. So let's see Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we have to do this every Mother's Day. Obey your parents. Obey your mom, because it's right. Unless, the only time you don't have to obey your mom and you're under her authority is if she asks you to do something that dishonors God that's wrong, okay? If she asks you to lie and cheat and steal, you don't have to do that, all right? may not happen very often. I can't remember. I don't think my mom ever asked me to do anything that was wrong. Um, Verse 2, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. There's tons of information about how you treat your parents if you treat them with honor and respect and you grow up with this concept of understanding obedience, how that's going to impact your, your life for the rest of your life, uh, how, you, how you handle authority and how you respond to uh, authority. So, uh, kids, think about that. Let me also just say here, uh, to take us just, just for clarification, okay, how long do you have to obey your parents? It's kind of practical because we have people of all ages here. And parents have opinions about everything all of your life. When you're 50, your parents will have an opinion about what you should do. It's okay that they have an opinion, but you don't have to obey when you're 50, all right? 
I don't know when that is, but if you're under your parents' authority, if you're living at home, if you are taking finance, finances from them, if they're supplying your support, you have a responsibility to them. God always tells you to honor your parents. Always, always, always honor. When you get married, most definitely your mate becomes the most important human on earth that you are responsible to. And your mate always comes before your parents. Always, okay? That's what leave your parents to become one. You cut the apron strings here at this point. And uh, so if parents want you to obey them after that, you're going to have some problems if it doesn't go along with your mate. Um, So you draw the line there. You always honor obedience, your responsibility, until you leave the home for good, okay? And for husbands, um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. So husbands, you're to be considerate as you live with your wives. New American Standard uh, says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I like that. Um, One of my uh, seminary professors, Howard Hendricks, said, men, you have to become a student of your mate. Now, you know, if you're a seminary student and all you do is study, and, and here's your professor saying, what's more important than all your studies of the Bible is for you to study your mate. Oh, how do I do that? And it's about knowing everything about your mate. You know uh, what makes her tick, and you know what makes her ticked off. And the goal is not to bring her harm, but good. And so your mate is different. You don't have your, your mate doesn't have to be like your mom or any other person in the world. The mate you have is your mate, and she's your assignment. Okay, and you need to be a student of her. Uh, this whole idea of she is a uh, weaker partner uh, in English. I think that's I think it misses the point, and I think our culture reads it and they see it somehow as being inferior or less, and it's not true. That's not what this scripture means. It means she's more delicate. God made her different. She's a complement. God designed her to complete the male, to be different than the male. She's equal with the male, uh, totally equal, but different. Let me remind you of how uh, God made her different. For example, in 80% of the population, uh, some of these things are true. Women have a better immune system than men. God made her different. Women outlive men by eight years on the average. God made her different. In some cases, she's not so weak. Women have 38% fewer organic diseases. Uh, Some studies have said little girls tend to be stronger than little boys regarding their overall health. More males are conceived than females, but more males miscarry. More boys are born than girls, but more boys die in the first year. Um, on average, a man has uh, a gallon and a half of blood, and the, and the average woman has four-fifths gallon of blood. A man's body weight is approximately 40% muscle. A woman's body weight is approximately 20% muscle. Um, men's bones are actually thicker than women's bones. 
actually denser, and that a man's skull is actually thicker than a woman's skull. I don't know where that comes from, but it's true. I, I don't know what the implications are either, but... Um, Studies have shown that little boys start more fights, make more, make more noise, take more risks, think more independently than little girls. Little boys are harder to educate than little girls. Little boys are more likely to have reading problems than little girls. Little girls show less interest in things and more interest in people than do little boys in general, 80% of the population. Girls excel in verbal ability while boys excel in abstract thinking. Girls are more conscientious. Boys are more argumentative. I don't know why that would be. Um, Females are social, emotional specialists. Males tend to be more task-oriented. In one study, it was found that little boys, they wired to two two through four-year-old kids, they wired them with a microphone, it's, uh, one uh, study showed that um, little girls, when left alone, talk to themselves or other people 100% of the time. Verbal <laughs> communication. Um, it was found that little boys talk 60% of the time to themselves or to others, and 40% of the time they just make noises. Uh, Medical science has also observed that there seems to be a distinct difference between the way the brain functions for the male and the female. Uh, Left side, right side brain. A man tends to be a lateral thinker, and he tends to think out of the left side, 80% of the population, left side of his brain, um, where the left side is analytical, practical, cool, emotionally. um, And the woman is able to think out of the right side of her brain where it's creative, emotional, musical, artistic. The interesting thing is for the woman, she is able to think out of both right and left sides of the brain at the same time where a male cannot do that. Male or left side, if they move to the right side on rare occasions, they have to shut down the left to go to the right. And so uh, that's why women are more intuitive because they're thinking out of both sides. That's why I never understood why my wife would talk about all the emotions that are going on in a room socially, and I don't get any of them. And so I just learned to ask her later what's going on, how are people doing. Um, Women are usually more sensitive than men. They place a higher value on expressing feelings. Women usually have a greater need for belonging, while men have a greater need for achieving. Men are more focused in their thinking. Women are more intuitive in their thinking. This really confuses men when when women are intuitive. Men tend to see their work as an extension of themselves. Women are apt to see their husband and their family as an extension of themselves. Men are more goal-oriented. Women are more need-oriented. Men are physical. Women are more relational. In a normal day, uh, some men speak about 12,500 words. And in a normal day, a woman might speak 25,000 words. Some studies say men only speak 5,000 words and their wives speak 30,000 words. Um, 
Men's uh, brains are like filing cabinets. They take problems, they put them in a file, and then they close the drawer. And a woman's uh, brain is more like a computer. It's just working all the time, seeking for answers and seeking um, for the, the whole thing. So, so men, you know, basically are only able to handle one thing at a time. So they open the file cabinet, they take it out, and they deal with it. And then if you want to change subjects, you confuse them, and they have to put it back, take out a new one. Okay. That's true in 80% of the population. First Peter 3, live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Have to understand how she's different. She is different, and that's good. God made her that way. So this is true if you're just thinking about getting married or if you are married. If you're trying to figure out your mom, these are some of the things that are true about your mom and your dad as well. And uh, treat them with respect. That's a choice you make as there is with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And here's what I want you to see. If you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. You see that? Because if you are insensitive to your wife, that will hinder your prayers and God's not going to answer. How you treat your wife is, has a big spiritual impact on your life. Okay. And uh, moms also, God wants you to be encouraged, Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. So encourage your moms today. Husbands, encourage your wives uh, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, Proverbs 31, 28. Proverbs 31, if you know, women hate this passage on Mother's Day because um, it speaks of the ideal woman. She's, she's way up so high, it's almost like nobody's ever going to be like this woman. And so, you know, oftentimes women say, don't, I don't want to hear another Proverbs 31 sermon. It's a good passage. But here's what I want you to see. Every mom needs a Proverbs 31 family. And here's what the Proverbs 31 family does. Her children arise and call her blessed. Children, bless your moms. She need, Your mom needs a Proverbs 31 family. Husbands, your wife needs a Proverbs 31 family. Her husband also, he praises her. Praise your wives. Affirm them because everything about the world is, is tearing them down and devaluing them. Um, okay, lastly, moms, you can make an eternal difference. Uh, you need God's wisdom. I'm going to try to fly through this. You need God's wisdom. Wisdom is the art of skillful living. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one, the foolish mom, tears down her own house. You do that by your lifestyle, choices you make, and with your words. You can build or you can tear it down. Uh, next, you need God's help. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Um, God's, God's love for you endures uh, his help for you endures. Uh, his faithfulness to be there for you is for all generations. It's for you and it's for your kids and your kids' kids, all right? Next, you need to walk with God. 
You need to depend on God. Uh, Psalm uh, 103. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. You want God's favor, God's hand on your life. God caring for you and for your family and for your children. Scripture says it's for those who fear him. Those who respect God. Those who humbly take God at his word. Fear isn't be afraid of him as he's going to punish you. The idea of fear here is awe. Be humbled by God. And and then his righteousness with their children's children. One generation to the other. As you get older... Like people like me, you're going to appreciate more and more about passing your faith to the next generation. Lastly, you need to trust God for success. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. wisdom. This is a prayer. Every person in this room can pray this. Teach us, God, to reflect and value our time on this earth so that we're going to learn. So we're not just going through the motions. So we're learning what it means to have a heart of wisdom. Uh, and then uh, Psalm 90, verses 16 and 17. May your deeds, this is a prayer, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Next. May the favor of the Lord. That's what I want in my life. I want God's favor. I want to be in the place so that I'm not working against God. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, moms, what what do you have to do to raise kids? You know, you you serve your family kind of night and day. You take care of your kids. You have to you have to babysit. You have to change diapers. You wash the clothes. You make the food, the meals. Yes, you can share them with dad, but you serve your family years and years and years. That's work. Now, do you want to do this by yourself or with God's help? And last passage. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. You know, establish the works that you're doing so they last. So the impact on your kids' lives will last and have an eternal significance so that one day they will be following uh, Jesus uh, on their own. So, moms, uh, you are God's uh, finest work in creation. Moms, God loves you more than you think. And, moms, you are worthy of our appreciation. Moms, you can make an eternal difference by the way you live. The best mom that I've ever seen in my life is named Sue. She has raised our three kids. She is not perfect, but she is a fantastic wife and mom. She has loved our kids. She has served our kids night and day. She has prayed for our kids. She has instructed them and she has counseled them. Guess what? Our kids are not perfect. She is not perfect, but they still call mom and ask her to pray for them. They still ask mom for advice and counsel. They still want to introduce mom to all of their friends as soon as possible. As we close this morning, I want to show a video clip. And uh, this is a way that we can help moms in another country. And the country is Afghanistan. So uh, I want us to see this, and then we're going to close.
Moms, one of the ways that we would like to honor you today is for every mom here today, we want to give a gift to World Vision uh, to help the moms in Afghanistan. And uh, I'd like to close and, and pray. And I'm gonna, uh, I want to ask all the moms to stand. I'd like to honor you and I'd like to pray for you. And uh, you're a mom, if you're a stepmom, if you're a biological mom, if you've ever been pregnant, if you have adopted kids, moms, uh, would you stand? And uh, I want to pray for you. And thank you, moms, for serving us all. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you uh, for these moms standing before us. We thank you that you created them, you've gifted them, and uh, that they have taken care of their kids. They have loved them. Uh, they work very hard. And, and God, we, we ask uh, for your blessing on their lives. We pray that you would encourage them today. We pray that we may encourage them today. We pray, um, God, that they might experience your love and that they might know deeply that you uh, love them, that they are loved by you. Um, Father, I pray that you'll give them energy and strength because having a family is extremely tiring and at times exhausting. Give them hope for the future. Give them um, the ability to uh, walk in your strength and in your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Give them wisdom, God, as they seek um, to be the best uh, women that they can be for your sake. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.